0: The text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day comes to us from our epistle reading from James chapter 1, especially these words, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to each of those who love him. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when you are tempted, and then you fall into sin, who do you blame? Is that too direct? Well, I figured we might get right to the heart of our text quickly today. For our text is that one that we just heard a portion of again from James chapter 1. And it's the kind of text that doesn't mess around, but simply gets right back the basics of our faith. It teaches us how it is that humanity interacts with sin. So when you're tempted and you sin, who do you blame? I'd say there are four directions we can really point our blaming fingers when we want to explain why exactly it is that we have fallen into sin yet again. First, of course, we could blame God himself for causing us to sin. I suppose we could claim that he gave us more than we could handle. Or I suppose that we could claim that that desire we had for something more was because God had not provided enough. I suppose in general we could just say that God has to be to blame because he's God and everything is under his control. But James, he makes quick work of this silly thought of ours. He says God cannot be tempted to evil and nor does he tempt anyone. I mean, if God is the force behind inciting humans to choose evil, well, then the house is already divided and will soon fall. I mean, if it's true that God is the one tempting us, he is fighting against what he has said is his very purpose for us. So then I guess if we dismiss blaming God directly, there are three other directions we can point our finger in. The scripture makes clear that the devil The world and our sinful flesh are things that lead us into sin. Now, unlike God, these three things indeed are trying to tempt us. They, too, can be tempted to evil, and they do tempt others. But I suppose, if we are honest, we like to pick one of the first two if we can— to blame our sins upon rather than the last we like to say that every time we fall into the sin or fall into sin it is the devil's fault or it's the world's fault we'd like to try to exonerate ourselves right off the bat we'd like to blame someone else in order that we can prove ourselves innocent so there are some people who blame everything on the demonic forces that you simply cannot see. In many Pentecostal and holiness churches this is a typical way of thought. Every sin gets turned into its own demonic force. Let me illustrate this point by telling you a story that's likely at first to make you chuckle. One of my friends in seminary decided that he wanted to go and experience the worship Of different church denominations. And so on one occasion he went and visited a Pentecostal church on a night when they had gathered to exercise demons. My friend stated that after the preacher for a while had gone on about demons like the demon of lust or the demon of pride, the preacher all of a sudden up and first said, somebody here has a demon of chocolate. He has a demon of chocolate. But then, if that wasn't amazing enough itself, he then watched as a man in sincerity left his pew and ran to the front of the church yelling, Cocoa Puffs! Cocoa Puffs! Yeah, that reality is sort of funny but at the same time, quite sad. But it shows how we often do like to try to blame our sins on some force out there that we just can't control. I doubt most of us here would buy into such ranting and raving as that. But we do at times, too, like to blame our sins on forces that are outside of our control. We talk about being overcome when we fall into sin, as if we had no role to play in the matter, but we're simply held captive by some sort of evil force. We sometimes act as if our anger comes about not because of our own actions, but simply because of our genetics or our life experiences. We fall into repetitive sins because we'll say that the devil tricked us into thinking that we could do one sin once and then never go back to it again. But I think it's safe to say that for most of us gathered here, while we might play those games to some extent, we're much more likely to point the finger out at the world for our troubles. We justify so many of our sins simply by claiming that we have no choice because of the world we live in. We watch those questionable shows on TV because there's just simply nothing good on TV anymore. We invest so much money into our temporal life and goods because it's simply what's expected by our family and our friends and our co-workers. We might choose to live or sleep with someone who's not our spouse we'll claim the world has just made it so financially hard to get married. Now as I've said, all of these things that we say could be true to some extent, for the devil in the world does seek to want to lead us into sin. The trouble, though, is when we talk like this, we often are thinking that by pointing the finger somewhere else, we can we can avoid having to examine ourselves. And this is where James simply gets to the heart of the matter. He tells us that in the end, if we are thinking about our sins, the only tool we really need is a mirror. We only need to point that finger straight forward into the mirror to see where it is that our sin truly comes from. Listen again to the words of our text, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And there you have it. Yes, it is truly our flesh that we must reckon with this day. For when we are tempted to sin, it is because we have been enticed by our own desire. It is our lust for pleasure that leads us into sinful activity. It is our lust for material possessions that leads us away from God. It is our lust for the admiration of the world that gives birth to trespass. Unless we think that sin is so common that we hardly even need to think about it, James again reminds us quite simply that sin leads to death. It grows not only into physical death, but what the Bible calls the second death, and that is living without God forever in hell. So yes, it's true. The devil and the world, well, they are trying to tempt you into sinning, but they would have no luck if they did not find within you impure desires to entice you towards And therefore, we need not worry first and foremost about trying to escape evil forces or about trying to change our world into a more pure and holy place. We must start first and foremost with admitting the evil desires that are within us. We must confess those evil desires to God. The scriptures tell us that in our baptism, those evil desires, that sinful flesh, was actually drowned and died. However, when we don't live in that identity that we have as the baptized child of God, those desires seem to come so quickly back to life. And that is why God has instructed us that we must daily repent of our sins and receive anew the forgiveness of sins He has told us that if we come to him, he will renew in us the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he will drown those old evil desires anew. So let us stop trying to point the finger elsewhere and simply admit to God and before one another that it is our failure to rest in the identity that God has given us as the children of God that allows those desires that are evil to grow strong within us let us admit then that it is those desires that give birth to sin and that we understand that when those sins are full grown they lead to death no god tempts no one to sin james though does tell us what god does do listen to these words from our text blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Yes, God gives the crown of life to those who remain steadfast under trial, who continue to look to him and fear love and trust in him, no matter what temptation might come. No, God doesn't want to tempt you into sin, but rather wishes to help you remain steadfast and firm even when temptation to sin comes. And so today he takes those evil desires within you that have come to life and he drowns them again with a simple sip of wine. He raises you back up. He kills that old sinful self as he forgives your sin with his very body which is hidden underneath the bread. Yes, he forgives, he kills the old self, and he raises up the new self. And in so doing, he gives you everything you need to stand steadfast against temptation. He gives you all those gifts right here today, and on the last day, will give you the crown of life as well. He will give you that crown of life that Jesus died and rose to give to you. No, it's not God that tempts you to sin. It is rather God who forgives your sin and who gives you the power to remain steadfast against temptation. Whose fault is sin? Well, it's yours, it's mine. But whose fix does away with sin? Well, that is Jesus. And so we say all glory be to that one who forgives our sins, who fills us with the spirit, who kills the old self and brings the new self back to life. All glory be to him. Amen.